everybody? You're listening to the 28th episode of Hipster Baseball Podcast, HBP, where we talk about baseball, drinks, and everything else under the sun. I'm DeCarlo Calloway, alongside Dorian, and on today's podcast, we celebrate National Beer Day, criticize Commissioner Boss Hogg on canceling the 2021 Baseball All-Star Game in Atlanta, see that change is coming to the Champions League, scalp some baseball tickets, and skip work to attend the World Series. But of course, we start, we're going to start this episode like we do every single episode, showcasing what we are drinking. So I want to bring in my man Dorian to get us started. What's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great. I'm chomping on my cigar like uh, good old Commissioner J.D. Boss Hogg. And I'm raising my glass to you, sir. Happy National Beer Day. Yes, and, and I'm also raising my glass of beer to you. Oh, my God. Like there's. <laughs> what are you like, drinking today? I am drinking a Sierra Nevada Hot Bullet Double IPA, which is very, very good. I'm not usually, for one, I like beer, but I don't really drink it that often, especially not at home. I, I would always usually order it when I would go to a bar. And IPAs was a particular time and period in my life, in my mid to like late 20s. Yesterday? No. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look like it, I, I would like to say, but no, not uh, not really, but um, and this IP is really good. Usually they're they're too hoppy, sometimes really spicy. This one is very subtle and just hits hits me perfectly. What about you? What are you drinking today? Well, we all have different tastes, and for those of you who don't know, now you know the seventh of April is National Beer Day. I'm not a big IPA person at all. What I'm drinking, we're both supporting good American jobs. I'm I'm drinking a beer called Bunny Brown Ale from a 32 ounce growler. It's from a local. American brewery called SJ Brewing Company in Yuli, Florida. Uh, Yuli is about 30 minutes north of Jacksonville. It's at the almost very tippy top right on the border with uh, Georgia. So there's so, a lot of Florida men there. A lot of Florida men in Yuli, yeah. Florida. Okay. <laughs> but uh, S- <laughs> good people at SJ Brewing Company makes uh, this good beer. I'm really enjoying it. It's a little bit darker. So I want to give everyone a little... Quick little history bit on National Beer Day. It's actually National Beer Day is a celebration of the Colin Harrison Act, which was signed into law back in 1933, only about 90 years ago. President Franklin Roosevelt signed it into law, which legalized or re-legalized the sale of beer with in the U.S. with the alcohol content of 3.2 percent, because again, the U.S was in prohibition for about 19 years, which means you couldn't drink anything in this country. Legally, legally, so, yeah. So, ag- what that would be- so technically, if we were to go back to 1933, I would be drinking any still any legal drink because this Bunny Brown is 5.2 percent alcohol by volume, and I'm sure to Carlos Sierra Nevada is also what like 4.5 percent, something like that. So, um, we would both be we would probably be both- higher because IPAs tend to be that's usually true. on the higher side. Even so, we would both be drinking in the back of a paddy wagon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. But uh, well, it, it wasn't inter- actually during probate. It wasn't illegal to consume alcohol. It was illegal to sell it. So you could kinda be like, drunk, kind of like drugs today. Well, in no, because you State. could. Well, you, well, oh yes, in terms of hard drugs, I was about to say. Mm-hmm. Well, I was like, fifteen states have legalized marijuana for recreational purposes, but yeah, when it comes to hard stuff, but yeah, but you could be arrested for for being under the influence. All right, of course. Yeah. And interestingly enough, the great state of Minnesota is the last state in the entire United States to continue to implement the 
that only beer with 3.2% alcohol by volume can be sold in grocery stores. You could buy stronger beer at the local breweries in Minnesota and at the liquor store, but not at the grocery store. And that's part of the one. That's one of the reasons why the Milwaukee Brewers is their name because of all the all the brews, all the breweries that were located that are located in the great state of Minnesota. And upon signing the Colin Harrison, you know Act that today, Milwaukee is in Wisconsin, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, see, it's, I, I blame the SJ Brewing Company people for putting five point two percent alcohol. You sounded so convinced about that. You know, you know, you know, you know yeah. I'm like, um, you know, the sad thing is I minored in geography in college. <laughs> so, by Anyways. the way, people, I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to name your university for the fact that they might want to take their degree uh, back. But anyway, no. <laughs> I, lo- I love my undergrad and I love all, everyone, all the other schools that I went to. But um, so I, when, he, when President Roosevelt signed the Colin, Colin, Colin Harrison Act, he said, quote, I think this would be a good time for a beer, end quote. And in the 1930s, we're talking about why 3.2% alcohol by volume. In the 1930s, scientists hadn't yet developed a way to measure how much alcohol would make an individual drunk. And so all they did was just visual tests. They would sit you down, ply you with beer, and then say, okay, now you're drunk. Wow. <laughs> and so another test they would do was that after you were drunk, they would make you walk in a straight line to, again, determine that you're drunk. And police forces across the country took that test to heart. So as you know, if you have a traffic stop with uh, suspected drinking and driving, the police officer always, at, oh, not always, but they sometimes ask someone to walk in a straight line. You always see that stuff like in cops and all these police shows from their dashboard camera. So you shouldn't have to do that because our listeners and we do not drink and drive. But just so you know, that's where the walking in a straight line from a car <laughs> Walking in a line uh, <laughs> happens. So whatever drink makes you happy, we want to know what it is. We always share with you every week what we're drinking. You can do the same with us. Tweet us a picture of your favorite drink this week. Our Twitter Twitter handle is at HBP4040 and use the hashtag HBP drink. Oh, I had to take one last hit of this good Yuli, Florida, because... Like I said, Uly, Florida is right across the state line from Georgia. And you know who lives in Georgia. One of our unfavorite, one of our unfavorite commissioners, <laughs> Commissioner J.D. Boss Hogg. So, Carlo, do you know what J.D. stands for? Uh, Jim Dolan? Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy. So... <laughs> Those of you who don't know, Boss Hogg was actually the comical villain in the 1980s TV show, The Dukes of Hazard. one of my all-time favorite TV I shows. I actually met some- the dude, by the way, just a little t- caveat. Um, who was, what was those, what were the Dukes brothers' names? I forgot. The, the one oh, Bo, uh, Bo and, um, I think it was Bo and Jim. I think yeah. I know. I know definitely it was... Uh, it was that. So you, so you met the real actors? Yeah, well, the, the blonde-headed one. Who also okay. played the dad in Smallville, like later on in his career, when I was yeah. bartending in the airport, he came and you know, I got him drunk. <laughs> and then the sad part is, is I think he actually went, like ended up going to rehab or some shit like that. Oh, yeah, so yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of bad. <laughs> well, it's not bad. How would I know? Was, uh, it, it was actually, his name was uh, John Schneider. According yes, to John our, Schneider. Yes, according yes. to our, our crack H- HBP research team. So, yes. 
<laughs> no, we, we have we have a bullpen full of analysts here at HPP. So again, people, uh, I'm sure you, you, whether you're a baseball fan, a sports fan, or even just slightly tuned into politics, you know that there's a hoopla going on in the state of Georgia that Georgia's, Georgia Georgia legislator, the governor, signed into law a voting bill, and uh, the Coca Cola's reacted to it. Delta, Delta, and Coca Cola are headquartered in Atlanta. And also, and the Major League Baseball this year, they were scheduled to have the All Star Game and the Major League Draft to drafting college and high school players in Atlanta. And it's a big to do this All Star Game because it's a three day festival. They have the Home Run Derby, they have celebrity games, they have uh, future rising stars. It's a big economic boom for the city that hosted that hosts it every single year. So we don't usually talk about politics, and we're. Um, the impact of this yeah. and this hap- that economic impact happens uh, for every city that hosts it every single year. So we don't usually talk about politics on this podcast, but we want to bring this up, this, uh, this bill that happened uh, in Georgia, this voting rights bill and the reaction from Delta, from Coca-Cola and Major League Baseball. So, this is a fun podcast, not a political one. So you can go to CNN, Fox, CNNBC, and any other acronym you want to get further information on this. But we want to talk about the actual bill and Major League Baseball's response to it. Surprisingly, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, who is a real person, unlike Boss Hogg. Boss Hogg. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he unilaterally, this is the news that's coming out, he unilaterally said, we are not going to hold the All-Star Game in Atlanta this year, and we're pulling it. And a few days ago, that they announced that, the new, that Coors Field in Denver, Colorado, which I would love to go to one day, is going to host the All-Star Game on the 13th, 13th of July. So the Dukes of Hazard Commissioner, J.D. Boss Hogg, would be very proud of the real-life Georgia governor, Brian Kemp. Why? They're just two good old boys. Never meaning no almost. Bow, 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 bow. I love I love the theme song of the Dixon House. <laughs> so this bill that was passed is called the Election Integrity Act of 2021, also known as Senate Bill 202. For me, you can hear about all this stuff. It's like, oh, they're banning people from drinking water, this, that, and the other. That stuff is actually false people. Your boy, me read the 95-page bill in PDF format. I read it. What I got from it was the mean-spiritedness of the bill. But it's, all- it, 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 it's poking holes at people. It, it, I will say in terms of, like, on a historical context, when you look at, say, like, old voting suppression laws from, like, Jim Crow to now, Socially speaking, it's not as acceptable to be completely segregated to such a degree in which you like violently pull people from the polls. But it's almost like uh, being like adapting to the time in which there is a, a, a on a general like basis, there's a level of equity that people view one another, especially when it comes to say like certain people or certain groups. And within this, it's like well. If you know what you're doing, you should be able to do it. If, if you have the economic means, if you have the education, but at the same time, for those that don't, we're still going to stick our fingers in your eye 
but we might not hose you down with water cannons and, and sick dogs on you type of thing. That's my interpretation based on what I've seen. But I agree. It's very mean spirited. It's really just, it's really like, Oh, you lost and you want to make a re like you want to be able to define a way in which you can try to limit the opposition's ability to win. You won't completely be able to take away their ability to win, especially if they have high numbers. And usually when it comes to certain resistance like this, you might get a counter response, but it still does. It still does present a lot of uh, mean spiritness and, and voter suppression. I, I just see it as this bill was created to address problems that didn't exist. And I'm going to, I just pulled out a couple of things that, that struck me from the bill. I'm going to read them to you a couple, just about four of them. This is lifted directly from the bill. I am not say, adding anything quote, the establishment of voter intimidation and illegal election activities hotline. That's a good thing that apparently Georgia didn't have any, have that before. That's a good thing. Second bullet point that, that stood out for me from the Senate bill 202 requiring two Saturdays for voting and two optional Sundays. This is also good. And as the, the bill itself stated that the majority of Georgia counties had never offered Sunday voting, this is a good thing. Then we're going into a bit murkier waters. Here's a third bullet point. The bill wants to provide for the reduction in size of certain precincts under certain circumstances, end quote. That's very, very, very murky. What do you mean to reduce the size of certain precincts? Is it less poll workers? Is it less hours available? That's when you're getting into potential tampering. Like, why would you reduce the size of certain precincts under certain circumstances? What are those circumstances? I don't know. Maybe it's to make it that there's only a few polls open and, and you get sick and tired of standing in line for eight hours. I don't know. Another bullet point, quote, the state election board may suspend county or municipal superintendents and appoint an individual to serve as the temporary superintendent in a jurisdiction, end quote. For me, this is big government taking over local officials. We, we're, we're against big government here, okay? just like Commissioner Boss Hogg, okay? But, this is again lifted from the bill, the state election board shall not suspend more than four county or municipal superintendents. I mean, even big government has to have restraints. So if anyone would get suspended, I'm going to guess where these four places could potentially be. Two more. Gwinnett, Fulton, <laughs> Cobb. You and said it not me. Other you said it be not me, um, brother. There's another one. I can't remember it, but I know it's, there's a lot of them. Well, but and the four main that right. pretty much in, encompass metropolitan Atlanta area. Yeah. Another one is which I, it, this was just completely blatant. This is no. We're no longer in the murky section, people. About this is when I get into the mean spiritedness of this bill. Quote: To provide limitations. Keyword to provide limitations on the use of buses and other movable facilities. To Carlo, who, what part of this population usually uses buses to go to voting booths? Um, those who utilize Sundays for souls to the polls, which are black people. I, I, 
I don't, why specifically call out buses in this bill? That's very mean spirited. It's very lawyerly. It's mean spirited. Um, because as we know, black people who attend church, usually not always, but usually vote for a certain party. And there's um, also usually buses for churches, all, all, yeah, especially like when they're said. like, we finished service. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny being that and in three, three junior, hours, we're going to go vote. Yeah. And it's funny being that the junior senator from Georgia is the reverend of one of the most popular and famous churches in all of Georgia. Yeah, who so, definitely might have a fleet of buses that takes his congregation to the polls after Sunday's uh, service. Yeah. And my last point that I pulled from this 95-page bill, and listener, if you don't like what I'm saying, it's too bad, my friend, because this is lifted directly from the bill. My last point that I think that was incredibly mean-spirited, quote, a board of registers or absentee ballot clerk shall establish at least one Dropbox as a means for absentee by mail electors to deliver their ballots to the board of registers or absentee ballot clerk. A board of registers or absentee ballot clerk may establish additional boxes, one additional box for every 100,000 residents. The, The key word there, end quote, the key word there is may establish additional drop boxes, not shall, not is required. So, Carlo, imagine the good borough in New York, Queens, where King Joffrey, not King Joffrey Jofer, Akeem, our favorite fictional African prince, lived in Queens County, New York. How many people live in Queens? Well, I got to correct you. My favorite African, like fictional African prince is uh, T'Challa. Black Panther. Is oh, okay. Well, okay. Well, then my, I was talking about but the there's Royal about Navy. over 600,000 people. <laughs> I would say maybe, yeah, probably about what, 600,000. So imagine 100, one, people. Carlo and listener, imagine one Dropbox for the entire population of Queens County. <laughs> I, I mean, I may, me as no, a, you probably have about eight, but me as a ballot clerk, I could, I, I may establish additional Dropboxes, but I'm not required to. Imagine oh, one. yes, May. Oh, Jesus. So, yeah, it, they just established one. Yeah, exactly. So, also, listener, imagine one Dropbox in all of L.A. County. L.A. County, I believe, is about 11, 12 million people in L.A. County. One Dropbox in L.A. County. Not that there – I may have an additional one, but I don't but have not. to. Yeah. Imagine one Dropbox – in Miami-Dade County, Miami-Dade County has a population of about two and a half million people. One box. That's, again, to be fair, that's not to say every voter uses absolute ballots. Absolutely not. But as we saw with the pandemic and people being more mobile and people doing whatever, they probably don't want to go and stand eight hours in line to go vote. No. So, imagine, so DeGarlo, I'm going to ask you, how many drop boxes do you think that Commissioner Boss Hogg is going to provide in Hazard County? One. None. Well, yeah, one because he's required. Yeah, Establish well. shall at least one. So uh, thank goodness Commissioner J.D. Hogg is not running the entire U.S. Uh, election system. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, people, this is – it's a very interesting bill, and – Unfortunately, a lot of us, and I'm guilty of this as well, we just consume whatever all these news, whether it's Breitbart, Fox, MSNBC, BBC, whoever, and we allow them to interpret 
bills like this for us, as opposed to us diving in and taking, you know, 30 minutes to an hour. Well, because you know why it's because purposely when it comes to economics, law, anything that's really thought provoking, it tends to be really boring. It's not very. Are you calling me boring? I, I was just saying that we're just flexing our academic intellectual. No, muscle, it's, boring. no it's boring. It's <laughs> boring. Reading 95 page lawyer, like law, a bill, like a law, a Bill that like it's draft. It's boring as hell to read that. It's not anything that You're your right. normal individual is going to sit back and read. This but is why makes, people are able to get push things through. And the media, your analytical mind, razor sharp, my friend. I'm oh, it does. Sure. I, I think everyone should do it. So, I just went through this. Got not not a little political. I was just lifting things, and I didn't misquote anything, my friend. Not one word I misquoted from that bill. So some people may ask. Okay, Dorian, but the point of the bill was to address voting fraud. What about voting fraud? Okay. In November 2020, what, four or five months ago, the the state of Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick offered a $1 million reward. I love it, DeCarlo. It's like very old Wild West. You know, it's like I'm offering a bounty for the head of this outlaw cowboy. Yeah, I love Texas, it. Right. Very. T- I, I loved it. I loved it. So in the, so in November, 2020, the Lieutenant governor of Texas, Dan Patrick offered a $1 million reward for voter fraud tips for voter fraud tips to Carlo who claimed the money. Nobody, nobody, <laughs> nobody. <laughs> it's still out there. The bounty is still there. My friend, if you find voter f- fraud, Call up or tweet or call, write a letter, send a telegram to Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick of Texas, and he will give you $1 million. I'm not making this up. Use your internet machine. Look up Dan Patrick, $1 million. It still has not been claimed five months later. All right, Dorian, that's that's interesting, but we're talking about the Georgia bills. Who cares about what's going on in Texas? Okay. So the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, I can't really, I'm not very good with German last names, but we'll call him Secretary of State Brad Raffensberger. He wrote a letter on the 6th of January to two congressmen from Georgia in, DC, in Washington, D.C., Jody Heiss and Barry Loudermilk. Why are all these Germans living in Georgia? I have no idea. And included in that letter was No, there's Senator a large King. German population. Okay. Like they have... Like Oktoberfest and stuff in Germany. It's, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Nothing, so, nothing, yeah, but there's a lot of Germans who live there. Okay. Like so, people of German descent. Yeah. So, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger wrote a letter to Georgia Congressman and woman Jody Heiss, Barry Loudermilk, and Georgia Senator Kelly Loeffler. And he wrote, it's a 10 page letter. You, my friend, can also read it. In the conclusion part of that letter, it's just 10 pages. It's not going to take up as much time as the as the 95-page bill. He wrote, quote, the facts show that the claims asserted by the president and his allies about the voting machines used in Georgia are false. The facts show that the claims that the 2020 election did not follow Georgia law on absentee vote ballots are false. The claims that the election was not transparent or that monitors did not have the access to which they were entitled are false. The claims that there are a sufficient number of illegal voters to put the result of the presidential contest in questions are false. 
you have already accepted the results of the November 3rd, 2020 elections in Georgia for your own seats and those of your colleagues. I respectfully request that you review this evidence and you do the same for the presidential electors who were validly elected by the people of Georgia. We do not have to like the results of an election to accept them. End quote. I want to read that again, not the whole thing. We do not have to like the results of an election to accept them. In, in, in this letter, it's 10 pages, uh, Secretary of State Raffensperger repeatedly asserts, and I'm paraphrasing, I was disappointed in the results. He had it through the entire letter telling these two congressmen and Senator Loeffler he didn't like the results, but he found nothing that he could he could do because it was completely legal. Again, why are we making solutions for problems that don't exist? No, this is coming from the horse's why? mouth, my friend. No, because you know why? In this case, you have to keep in mind, too, politically speaking, it's not as though all Republicans really like Trump. They were okay with getting rid of his ass. But when it comes to 2022, remember, Brian Kemp has an election he needs to win. So it's fine to get rid of old orange man, but it's another thing when you see that the base of your party believes this lie and you also have to run for elect statewide election yourself. And on the other end, you see, okay, democratically speaking, there are Democrats who definitely now, or even, not might even be Democrats, but you also have people who are once Republican who live in the suburbs and exurbs who are voting Democratic because that shift is taking place within the party demographics and also platforms. I'm going to have to think, and I'm going to have to cater to my base. And then in Georgia, you also have a powerhouse woman named Stacey Abrams, who unfortunately got miffed the first time because a lot of situations of voter fraud, whose 10 year plan has actually come to fruition, who now on a power structure type of situation demonstrate that she could win statewide election and Democrats have a chance because let's keep in mind, like I'm from New York and I'll tell you this back in the early two thousands, everybody was going to Atlanta. Everybody was every person of color who had money in the Northeast looked at housing in Atlanta because you can buy a mansion for the amount that you're paying for just like a normal, like Dutch style house in New York. Oh yeah. A million dollars will get you. Oh, I'm sorry, a million dollars in New York will get you a one-bedroom apartment. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and people were going down to Atlanta looking for homes, and a lot of people ended up moving down there because they're like, you know what, especially those who were retiring too because they were able to cash out on the equity of their homes that they had here at North, take whatever their pensions were, buy property in Atlanta. Why not? It's, it's, it's warm. The weather's nice. You have a, a, a thriving and up-and-coming economic powerhouse of the city and now a lot of that is starting to happen especially because you have a lot of creatives who left the northeast ended up going to georgia and look at the now the film production scene in georgia you have new york georgia and los angeles are your three top places in the united states to film so a lot of that movement was taking place for some time and now the voting patterns are starting to demonstrate that it's one thing, get rid of the orange man. That's fine. You have a lot of Republicans who didn't like him, but they wanted to use the fact that he emboldened a lot of people who didn't participate in the political process to do so. You're going to continue to flout those rules, especially if it's going to benefit you in the long run. It, it's, 
again, I, I'm, I'm going to just repeat what I said at the top of this segment. It's just mean spirited. It's completely unnecessary. And I think like most Americans, uh, look, this is a baseball podcast, but uh, politically I'm middle of the road, but this is, this is a messed up bill and it's cost Atlanta, small business owners in Atlanta money because actions have consequences. You can't just say, Oh, uh, you, you, you don't worry about what, uh, what the government does. It's like, well, it does. And, it doesn't really matter how you go to a voting precinct, whether you go with friends on a bus, whether you use a Dropbox because you may be out of town because God willing, with all this, the vaccine and things opening up again, everyone's going to be traveling by the time fall fall runs around, rolls around, excuse me, or, or God forbid you have a properly staffed precinct. But we don't know what's going to go on with Boss Hogg and uh, Governor Kemp because they're making their way the only way they know how. Boom, 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 boom. That's just a little bit more than the law would allow. You want to do the yeehaw part, DeCarlo? <laughs> no. And I was <laughs> just going to say this. Before we move on, I was just going to say this. It is unfortunate. But one thing we have to keep in mind is that within this country, money talks and flexes muscle. Hence why corporations and many high earners with good tax breaks before poorer folks. Yep. And... When you have businesses, and especially businesses like Coca-Cola, um, Delta, you have Major League Baseball, they have employees who this impacts. Like Delta, like if, you, if anybody ever flies into it, Delta is their, like that's their hub. Atlanta's Hartfields Airport should just be Delta Airport. Like all, all, like, all things considered, it should just be Delta Airport. So for them to sit back and take a stand, especially because a lot of people who live in the greater Atlanta region, especially those baggage handlers, those air traffic controllers, those desk clerks, those flight attendants, they're people of color. And they're going to be impacted by this. And so when corporations do, and and you know what, at the end of the day, people never had an issue Whenever other businesses, the one thing would say, it's in my duty as a business owner to refuse service to people I don't want to provide business to. Well, it's my duty as a business owner and a corporation to say, I don't want to do business in this state because unfortunately, you're disenfranchising a lot of my employees and I, I got money. I could take this to another state who might be a little bit more friendlier to me and give those individuals the opportunity to vote. Yeah, because exactly. Actions have consequences. This yeah. happened in North Carolina. This happened in Indiana. Whether you're for or against it, it, it doesn't really matter. Honestly, I'm, I don't, I, I'm not here to talk about what happened in North Carolina uh, about whatever, some bathroom bill or some Indiana issue with some wedding cake. It, it, the, the point is that we're here to highlight that actions have consequences, whether you're for it or against it. Uh, the NCAA pulled out of, the, of Indiana a few years ago because of some bill uh, the what happened North Carolina? Something that happened in North Carolina. I don't remember, but whether you're for or against it, like DeCarlo said, money talks, and it's just again, it's very sad that these political actions now are consequential on Atlanta small businesses and small businesses losing out on that all star revenue. That they, they, these people were counting on that this summer, much like a lot of small businesses count on that Christmas Hanukkah rush at the end of the year when they make the majority of their money. So now. Baseball fans in Atlanta, baseball fans in the South, because Atlanta Braves are the team of the South, and every all baseball fans everywhere 
Uh, now their freedom of watching All-Star Game in Atlanta is being infringed upon by this, uh, this issue that Rob Manfred, who is no friend of this podcast, we do not like Rob Manfred, but he, may, he decided to unilaterally, unilaterally exit Atlanta. And I also want to do a quick highlight of uh, the, there's another podcast I listen to, which is uh, Tomahawk Chop and their episode 282. They had a good prism of how they looked at this issue as well. So if you're into this, if you're into the Atlanta Braves, if you're into baseball, listen to Talking Chop episode 282. They have a good 10, 15 minute take on this exact issue, but from a different prism. So people, let's not propose solutions for problems that don't exist. Also, thankfully, the Atlanta Braves are not going to go uh, 0-162 this year because they started out the year 0-4, which <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. But oh, so the Braves so 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 hold on one second. So <laughs> so the the predictions maybe from that uh... <laughs> they lost four games in a row. Anybody can that can happen to anybody. It just so well, happened that it I'm happened the first like, four games of the season. <laughs> well, you know what? Momentum tends to. You know, trends usually help push momentum. So losing four games doesn't start as a good omen. But like you said, the season's long, a lot can happen. Yeah, the season's going to end in five years because that's how long baseball seasons go for. I'm joking. Again, on business impacting decisions, it's not just in baseball. It's not just in American and Southern politics. It also happens in Europe. Mm -hmm. And it happens everywhere, and especially when it comes to sports because – Though we love watching sports, we have to always remember that behind those beautiful games and those athletes pushing their bodies and showing us, damn, what I wish I could have the genetics to be able to do, there's a businessman saying, ha, 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 I'm glad I can monetize it. And the same thing is happening, not suppression-wise of individuals for voting, but we see changes to the Champions League, UEFA Champions League, which is the main biggest Soccer experience, I don't want to say experience, but uh, what is that? competition that takes place in the world, even more so than the World Cup, monetarily speaking, because this happens every single year, and it includes all your top club countries from Europe. So for those who didn't know, the Champions League is the main pinnacle of competition, league competition amongst the top players in European soccer. So your Spanish league top four teams and in England, your top four teams in Germany, your top four teams usually get the cream of the crop who come together and then play to win, to play for a for a trophy that crowns them the champions in Europe. And it's actually was never really a league. It, It followed a lot of the same format that you would find in the world cup or many of those competitions, but now it's starting to become, it's going to become an actual league come next year. So on the, on the surface, organizers say the changes are going to produce better matchups, fewer meaningless games, because in the Champions League, you had group stages, you had usually your top two teams, and then you might have an additional bottom two that might come from a lesser league, whether it be like, say, from Greece or the Russian League, playing against maybe a team from Germany or Italy or England or your top, like, top tier leagues. So... They're saying with this new format, you're going to get rid of that and you're going to have more drama because it's actually taking the, the same premise that you find in many of these other leagues where you have competition with, in most leagues, it's 20 teams. 
and then those who are the last three get relegated, and then you'll get new teams that come up. But this competition is going to be different. So in its current form, it's 32 teams. Now it's expanding to 36 teams, and no group stage. So by the time the winner is lifted, you're going to have produced 100 new games to sell the broadcasters, and the finalists will have played at least 17 matches, which is four more than under the current format. That's, ter- that's, that's terrible. Like, all these, and I mean this terrible in the sense of the physical toll on these players. Yes. Because just like we talked about this in episode what, 27 last week about the NFL having an additional game to produce more money for the owners and the general managers and ultimately the players as well, because you would hope that they would get more money as well. Mm-hmm. You have 17 more matches. I don't think that that money is going to go down to the, the players. They'd be like, yeah, we're still going to pay you four, eight million, dollars, eight million euros a year. Well, uh, I'll say this. And it, and it, DiCarlo, last point before you continue, it dilutes the product mm-hmm. because you keep these guys are, these guys are playing every three days for, yeah seven eight months uh, ultimately that dilutes it like it's it's almost as if you're going to your favorite i don't know whatever you say your favorite bakery your favorite smoothie place and they start using cheaper products and you're like um this doesn't taste the same as it used to but you're still charging me the same mm. I, and there's no current there's no bye weeks <laughs> in, in champion there is bye weeks in champions well, but these top tier players they have international games they have champions league and they have their domestic think, leagues yeah. But I will say this much. What it's going to do, and I agree with you, it could dilute the product, especially from the top tier, because even though you're going to have an additional, say, what, four more games for those who make it to the pinnacle, it's not going to be for everybody. But when you look at those top teams, those top players, they're the ones who really don't get those bye weeks. Because in in football, in soccer, you have, say, international break. You might have the League Cup. You might have the, the, the country cup. So in England's FA cup in Germany, it's the, uh, the Deutsche Pokat and you know, you, you'll have the, then you'll have like the, um, the Copa del Rey. So those teams might get eliminated, but usually the top tier guys stay in for much longer. So those top tier players are going to be pushed heavily, but at the same time, you're going to have your average dough. Who's going to sit back and say to yourself, say to themselves, I work a pretty crappy job. And I don't get paid a lot. These guys are conditioned. They're paid millions of dollars. They're physically taken care of. They're fed the top of the line food. They have the best doctors and physios that money can ever buy them. So do I really need to feel so sad that they're paying an additional extra games for millions of dollars? And oh, then on, by that's... the time their careers end, and, and, and let's think about the physical toll. It's not the same as, say, American football. They're not physically knocking each other not knocking the hell out of each right. other right they're not gonna suffer from uh all these me- ne- neurological diseases no. in 10 20 years but no. it's still you are like okay they're not playing as well why is this right back or this forward not scoring goals or giving up goals you can see it on the field and you're right that there's not not every team is going to play four additional not every team is going to make four additional games because if you look at the champions league the winners over the past 13 years They've only come from three leagues, mm-hmm. Germany, Spain, and England. No, That's and it. Italy, you missed four. No, 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 sir. In 13 years, my friend. What are you talking one, about? Milan won friend, in like 2009. That you just stole my thunder. In 13 years, one 
Italian team has won the Champions League. One. But the Italians don't matter. We we went we went over this episodes ago that, that, that that's in, in soccer and the Italian league is of like good players in yeah. the Italian league. They're really bad. But um but yeah, it's it's really just mainly coming from England, Spain and, and, and Germany. So truthfully, I, I, that's completely And by true. Germany I mean Bayern, Bayern Munich. Munich. Yeah, Bayern Munich. <laughs> and you had Borussia Dortmund in 2013 in the finals. That's about it. Yeah. But I mean, it's true, but you know what? At the same time, when you have by, – by expanding it to 36 teams, you're also going to invite more ownership to probably invest in other – Like France. Or like, my favorite Austrian team that I thought that was Austrian was like Swiss. What was that team? Was it Leipzig? Was it well, Red Bull no, Durham? Red well, Bulls. Leipzig. But you know what? You're not wrong in terms Red of Red Bull. Bull Vine. Because, no, because Red Bull has Red Bull, Salz- Red Bull Salzburg. Salzburg, yeah. And they have Red Bull, you know, RB Leipzig. They have RB New York. Like, Red Bull just owns a lot of crap. Like, Red Bull Tulsa. Red Bull Orange County, California. Might be. Mm. So. But, I mean, it is for money-making purposes. But all, all at the same that. time, I think the format might not be too bad. The extra games might be the one thing that might dilute the product, especially when you have – like regular league competitions, which are really intensive for a lot of these teams, but it's also going to, with that additional money that these teams will bring in, will then allow them to sign more talent to have deeper benches. Because when you look at say Manchester city, one of the things that allows them to be so productive, the greatest team in all the land and all the world. They're really not. (laughs) I mean, they haven't won a champions league once. Since uh, by the way, people, that's uh, that was an old joke back in the old days when Manchester City was no good. There's actually a pub outside of uh, Et- now it's called Seti- Etihad Stadium, but there's a, there's a pub there that's Eastlands. called uh, Maggie's. Was it Maggie's or Maggie's Pub? Uh-huh. And there, uh, and the, one of the slogans of Manchester City was the greatest team in all the land and all the world, and it was completely ironic mm-hmm, because Manchester United and Old Trafford were at the time. We're, Manchester City was a terrible, terrible. Oh, they were so bad, man. It was but funny. Not anymore. Like, no. And, and you know what? Just a little anecdote. Dorian and I, when we were students there, because the university we went to had, like, we'd get big discounts. And it just Amazing so happened. Amazing oh, we were right on, like, the pitch level. Literally on the page. So Section happened. 101. I yes. still remember. Section 101. We would go to games all the time. It was so fun. Uh, like, and this was right as the Sheikh Mansour bought the team. So then you had Rubinho. You know, you had Roki Santa Cruz instead of the play. That's you right. had Vincent Company. You started to see you started to see the, the pushing of Carlos Tevez after he Elano. left United. I now I wonder if they even still have that deal with the University of Manchester, but Whatever we we, we we enjoyed it, but just let me get back to this, so then we'll move on. So it's going to be thirty six teams. They're ranked one through thirty six, and they're going to be rising and falling in the standings as they accumulate points during the ten rounds of games. And you know, a lot of this also has to do with their international partners because remember, soccer it's exploded in ninety four. It started to the 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 seeds started to germinate in the United States. I will say it really started to take hold more so in 2006 when you started seeing Champions League games on ESPN. Now that the Champions League has a deal with CBS Sports, which is Paramount Plus, they're finding ways like ESPN has their streaming, NBC has theirs, like everybody's trying to make money off of this. 
So it's going to be those 10 rounds. All teams are going to play 10 Champions League games. The eight teams with the most points advance straight to the knockout round. So it's going to be those people. Because before in the group stages, you would have the two top teams move on to the knockout round. Third ranked team would go down to the Europa League, which is the lesser league. But it's going to be ranked within that position. Then those that are ranked 9 through 16, they're not going to join them. Not right away. It's going to go into a playoff. The bottom 12 teams are eliminated, simply put. In the new system, you're going to see the 16 teams drawn randomly in a home away playoff game against the team that finishes 17 through 24. The eight head-to-head matchups are going to result in the eight playoff winners. And then eight playoff winners will join the eight teams that originally moved on to form a 16-round knockout, which actually does equate for some of that, like, rest time in between. So those teams that are already at the top, those eight teams, they're going to have the opportunity to rest up. Whereas those that didn't are going to be playing those playoff rounds that are going to maybe have to travel to Denmark. Say if you're like in England, you well, England and Denmark, that's simple. But the big ones were always, say, like Russia, Ukraine. And France. (laughs) If PSG has to go play like in Israel. Yeah, but there hasn't been an ever what what Israelis Haifa Maccabee no, no. hasn't been they always get knocked out. Yeah, I was yeah. just throwing, or Kazakhstan because Kazakhstan surprisingly is in uh, UEFA. Really? But do they even have like an official league though? Hmm, whatever. But it should be interesting. We'll see how it kind of plays out. I think I hope it doesn't degrade the product, but. I see the the commercial utility for it, especially because the game is very global. And you're right. Are, I'm sorry. The, Kazakhstan is not part of the UEFA. It's part of the Central Asian Football Federation. I'm sorry. Okay. I, yeah. I was, I was just, about to say there's, there's another Middle Eastern team. There was a, is it Azerbaijan? I think it's Azerbaijan. See, the completely different uh, country, but it's still part of the old Soviet Union. Um, I'm about to say stands are usually Islamic republics in Asia. Yeah, no, Azerbaijan is part of uh, UEFA, but mm. uh, again, because I'm a geography minor, they, uh, that's why I got. I still got them messed up. Kazakhstan is like ten times bigger than Azerbaijan, so yes. uh, but they're all Soviet things. And Borat would be very upset with you because you equated Kazakhstan with Azerbaijan. with Azerbaijan. As long as it wasn't at Uzbekistan, I think. Yeah. But anyway. So but yeah, this, I completely agree. This was a complete money move because UEFA earns about 3 billion euros a year from hosting the Champions League. The World Cup, FIFA, which is a different organization, they only earn about $5.5 billion every four years. So by the time FIFA does their World Cup, they've earned five point, basically five and a half billion. In those four years, UEFA has banked about eleven billion dollars. So that's one of the reasons why the old FIFA president Sepp Blatter wanted the FIFA to be played, the World Cup be played every two years because it was about all the money, 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 money. And UEFA did this uh, back in the 1990s. There was a proposed European Super League that it was going to cut out UEFA. I think it was the president of AC Milan back then that proposed it. So it was going to be Milan, Inter Milan, PSG, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United, and Liverpool, and Bayern, Borussia. It was about like an 18-league Super League. And UEFA was like, wait a minute, we're going to get cut out of all 
that cash. And so they said, time out. We're creating the Champions League. But there were still bubbling rumblings about the Super League. And so, champ- so the UEFA said, time out. We're going to allow second place finisher finishers to come into the Champions League. Time out. We're going to allow third and fourth place finishers. And so now they're opening up basically to everybody, the 36 clubs, which is insane. So this is the reason why UEFA is always playing against that. The, the clubs are going to go rogue and go off and start their own competition because of money, money, businesses, everything. Everything's a product, unfortunately. And another product that isn't diluted this season is Major League Baseball because we're back to 162 games. And this is when we bring back our favorite fake Jamaican, Miss Cleo. It's Miss Cleo time, weekly predictions. <laughs> the question that we're asking in the crystal ball this week is, how many games, how many baseball games are we, your favorite HBP hosts, going to attend in person this season? Carlo, I'm going to say that I'm going to try to go to about a dozen games in person and I'm probably going to start late summer, let's say July, August, when the majority of people get vaccinated, things are opening up, things are starting to get more in control. And the teams I'm look, I'm most looking forward to seeing are obviously my Atlanta Braves. Unfortunately, not at the All-Star game. <laughs> the Toronto Blue Jays, which I love. HBP loves the Toronto Blue Jays. HBP loves Chicago White Sox. I would love to see Tampa Bay Rays game, but only if they... Only if the, the Rays call up Major League Baseball's number one prospect, shortstop, Wander Franco, and of course, the super teams out west, the Dodgers and the, and the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres. So I'm looking at potentially potentially going to a dozen games on the East Coast. We'll see if I manage to go out to the West Coast uh, in L.A. and San Diego later this fall. What about you, DiCarlo? How many games are you thinking of uh, attending in person this season? Well, truth be told, even on a regular year, it'd probably be about three. So if I get to one, that's going to be an accomplishment. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking for mainly because it's time. It's time. And when I am off, it's too damn hot. And, you know, it's one thing when you're. You are the. You're, we need to put you as the poster child of, of Major League Baseball uh, fanatics. <laughs> What economically like sound no, individuals no. Would spend a lot of money on baseball games? No, but the the fact that you're like I'll, I'll go to one. <laughs> well, that's all you need. I mean, I mean, it's nice. It's nice when you travel and you can go see. Like going to ballparks as a trip is something that I've always wanted to do, and we should do. That is one thing. But in terms of if my, most of my vacations are going to be in tropical locations when I do go. And where I have available baseball, it's mainly going to be in New York. Maybe if I decide to take a trip to Boston or I go down to D.C. or Baltimore, like within that area, that's really where most of my, my teams are. Or Philadelphia. But I don't like the Phillies, and I don't really like Philly fans. So I love Philadelphia. I love I love Philadelphia. Philadelphia. I love, I love the city. I love but I don't like Philadelphia people. They're grimy, man. <laughs> I mean, it, it's whimsical to watch from afar because it's like, wow, you you boo everybody. Like, it doesn't even matter if they're good; they just <laughs> boo them anyway. It's like, boo, get off! Like, they're just I, but you know, the Carlo. In defense of the Philly fans, I think now it's just performative. 
Yeah, after fandom really because Santa you Claus, because you know. now like they just have to now it's just performance because they have to live up to the bad reputation that they have and so I don't even think they need it anymore. They just like okay, we have to do this. So kind of like the bully in the in the in the schoolyard. It's like I I really like you, but I have to punch you in the face because everyone expects me to punch you in the face. Mm. <laughs> yeah, could be. All right, so I we're going to hold ourselves. Santa Claus, you kind of. About that it. was that was peak that was peak that philly was fandom yeah i mean they booed michael irvin the football nfl football player when he ended his career that we didn't know that then but when he busted his neck in the old veteran stadium there it was terrible and they booed him but the, the philly fans have seen better days but we love the city of philadelphia i love i've never lived there but i wouldn't be opposed to living there i love philadelphia great food great food awesome art scene they have all the sports you want yeah, well, I, it's have, on the water. I have some good stories about business trips to Philadelphia. <laughs> Air quotes, business trips. I mean, there's a lot of good food. <laughs> a lot of good food. No, it was yeah, actual I, business trip. Right? Yeah, no, I, I love Philly. And another thing that we love here on HBP are our sponsors. How else can we afford all this wonderful American beer on National Beer Day? Because of our sponsors. Today's sponsors, Hex Department Store, especially for you. There really isn't anything like going to your favorite local mall, trying on a piece of fabric, a piece of clothes at Hex, and walking out with it that same day. Online shopping does not give you that same rush. Bring your vaccine passport and get 10% off. We have what you want, from clothes to housing appliance, appliances. Remember, the Hex department store, especially for you. This next segment is especially for my favorite co-host, DiCarlo. The Dewey Decimal System, a.k.a. Lost in History. History, 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 history. We're going with another New York Yankee story. Again? Again. <laughs> Last week we did Madonna and the Material Girl, Jose Canseco. This week we're going with, we're going way back to the 1950s, baby. We're going to Lucy with Desi Arnaz and the television show, I Love Lucy. Look, you may have never even watched I Love Lucy, but you've heard of it. Everyone has heard of I Love Lucy. There was an actor on I Love Lucy, the neighbor, William Frawley. He was a huge New York Yankees fan. And we're talking about the 1940s, 1950s, between the 1930s and 1950s. New York Yankees absolutely dominated Major League Baseball. And I actually, I want to give a shout out to another podcast. I actually listened, I heard about this and I did a little bit more research on it. I want to give a shout out to another podcast that I listened to called Baseball by the Book. And it's it's on episode 296. So there was this author, uh, Dan Taylor. He wrote a book, Lights, Camera, Fastball, How the Hollywood Stars, Stars Changed Baseball. And interestingly enough, William Frawley, DeGarlo, how you're talking about business trips. This is the ultimate business trip. The actor William Frawley on the television show I Love Lucy. He was such a huge New York Yankees fan that it was written into his acting contract that he did not have to work during the World Series if the Yankees were playing. So he would either in California, he would just either watch it on, you know watch it on television in California because that's in L- I Live Lucy was filmed in LA 
or I think he would like train it or fly it out to New York. It was insane. And so the world, the, the Yankees were in the world series every single year from 1954 until 1959. And because of that, there were two episodes of Lionel Lucy that he didn't, he didn't appear in because it was in his contract. <laughs> so, you know what? DeCarlo, I wish I had that in my contract. Not, not about watching the Yankees in the World Series, about just doing whatever. It's like, oh, if the sun rises between October and November, I can't work because I'm going to be in the Turks and Caicos. I hope, DeCarlo, that in your next position as the superstar CEO of Hipster Baseball Podcast, you're going to write in your contract that you cannot appear on HPP if the Yankees are in the World Series. Okay. <laughs> so hat tip to William Frawley for having that amazing contract. And I want that to be an inspiration to you, my friend, in your next contract when you're negotiating your new job or if you're starting your own business or if you continue to grow your own business, you're like, you know what? I like this certain team. When they're in the playoffs, don't even bother to email me. So that was our segment on the Dewey Decimal System. So someone else who will never stop. In your, some, something else that you can't write into your contract, the love, the undying love of your pets. Whether you're watching the New York Yankees in the World Series like William Frawley did, and skipping a couple of television recordings of I Love Lucy, your pets will never fail you, my friend. Your pets love you, and HPP loves pets. Tweet us a picture of your pet listening to the HPP podcast. Tweet us a picture of your pet watching I Love Lucy. Tweet us a picture of your pet watching you reading the Georgia Senate Bill 202. <laughs> we'll retweet all of them. Our Twitter handle is at HPP4040. And use the hashtag HBPets, H-B-P-E-T-S. And that is a wrap, everybody. We want to thank you again for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at HBP4040, and our drinks will be in the show notes. Make sure you join us next time for a brand new episode of HBP Hipster Baseball Podcast. Catch you next time. Peace.